You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series called A Beacon of Light, a case study of Hezekiah. So if you have a Bible, turn to 2 Chronicles. Chapter 28 is where we find ourselves. We have Bibles in the back if you don't. If you have a smartphone, this book is in the Old Testament. It's by Kings, uh, First and Second Kings, and there's First and Second Chronicles, and I'm excited to start this new series, a sermon series uh, tonight as we look at King Hezekiah. Now, we just finished up a prayer series, and the power of prayer, we took 21 days to fast and pray together with different churches, and typically as a church, we go through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, trying to simply teach you God's Word and who He is. Uh, But before we jumped into our next book study, I thought it would be wise for us leading up to Easter is to do a case study on this key character, this king named Hezekiah. And this series comes out of my own devotional time with God for my sabbatical. As many of you guys know, this last summer I took first or sabbatical. I was pre-active and pro-planned. And uh, one of the practices and disciplines that I practiced over those 90 days was read through the entire Bible uh, in big chunks and read through the entire thing journaled through it, and I did it chronologically. I read the Bible chronologically uh, for the first time, and it was super helpful for me because how many of you guys know the Old Testament can be very hard at times to organize? The Old Testament, let's just say, is hard to organize. Um, And it's not organized chronologically in our Bible. It's actually organized by genre and size. Now, let me break this down for you. You are now about to go to Bible college. You're welcome. All right? We have the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They were written by a guy named Moses. It would be the Pentateuch or the Torah. The law was given. And these are the first five books. So when you start a reading plan or if you start from the Bible, like most people, you start from the beginning. Genesis, the origins, and you just keep on going through. Pretty simple, although you may get lost in Leviticus and Numbers because it's pretty deep and boring. Um, because it doesn't apply to us. It applies to God's people back then as they became a new nation. And however, through the Holy Spirit, he applies God's words and brings those truths to life because the same God they worshiped is the God we worship. The next sort of genre is history. And then it starts in, with Joshua, with Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. It's the history of the nation of Israel, how God is sovereign over this people and how he moves and works in these people. These things are written for our encouragement and hope, the Bible says. So when we look to how he interacts in history, uh, it's important. Now, it's not just a historical book. It's about real people. So there's a another genre in the Old Testament, wisdom and poetry. All you ladies probably like poetry in your romantic relationships, you know, like the lovey-dovey stuff. There's stuff in the Bible like that, Song of Solomon. We have some Psalms. Uh, We have Job would be considered a wisdom literature book, or Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes. Job is actually one of the oldest characters in the Bible. So this is where it starts to get a little wacky because you're like, wait, why wouldn't Job be over here? Because chronologically, it should be over here, not over here. You have the Psalms, which is primarily written by King David, which he's like in First and Second Samuel. And so his life is like matched up to Samuel. Then you have Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes. You have um, uh, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, David's son. And now things start to get a little bit out of whack. Because they're organized, not chronologically, but by genre. The last genre is prophetic or prophets. There's minor and major. Now, there's four major prophets in the Old Testament. There's Isaiah, Jeremiah, and he wrote Lamentations. There's Ezekiel and Daniel. 
There are the minor prophets. There are 12 minor prophets. I wrote these down. It's not all from memory. You know, I had to do some study work as well. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Boom. This is where it gets more confusing because we call them major and minor prophets. You know why we do that? It's just simply because of how long the book is. It has nothing to do with the significance. Amos is a great, important book, but yet it's like, well, that's a minor prophet because there's only a few chapters in there, but Isaiah has 60, so let's call that a major. And then some of these prophets are contemporary, like Amos and Hosea were contemporaries before Israel was even captured in Assyria, like in 1 Kings, our first chronicles. But Habakkuk and Jeremiah, they lived, that's a major and minor prophet, they lived at the same time the book of Daniel was written. And, 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 um, and the Babylonian kingdom in the exile. And so you have these collection of 39 books in the Old Testament. There's 27 in the New Testament. And I usually say it took me years to organize this all in my head. And sometimes I still get confused. How about you guys? It's a little difficult. That's okay. Okay? But God exhorts us not to give up when it comes to studying his word because there are great treasures that we are to mine like gold for. Listen to what Proverbs, a book of wisdom, that we can apply the truth of the Lord in our lives. He says this in Proverbs 2, 4, and 5. If you seek it, speaking of God's word like silver, and search it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Did you know that you could find the knowledge of God through a poem in the Bible? through a life in the Bible, through a prophet in the Bible. And God gives all these different angles to show you his goodness. It's a well-rounded picture. And so 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us we're to try our best to show ourselves approved, to study God's word. And this, my friends, is why my Bible studies are so long. Finally, justification, right? Because it just takes time. It took me years just to understand. And if we think we're going to figure everything out, Within one little Bible study or a 40-minute message, it's just not going to happen. But isn't God gracious enough to just walk with us over and over again? It takes time to teach. It takes time to understand. And you know what? The Bible says it's okay because God walks with us, and he's gracious enough to teach us his word. We come together recognizing the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we want to learn from God through it. So on my sabbatical, I was reading the entire Bible once again. And the Holy Spirit really helped me understand this period in history in the nation of Israel, this Assyrian period uh, where things just clicked, where I just saw like, oh, that's when that prophet was, and this is what this happened. And that, and so I knew when I came back, I was like, I want to teach you guys this, these important lessons in these things. And one of the sections that stood out to me as I was reading through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles and through this reading plan is this guy named Hezekiah. Now, if you do a simple keyword search of Hezekiah, he's going to be found in a lot of books of the Bible. He's in 2 Chronicles, where we're going to look at tonight, but he's also in 2 Kings. Kings sort of has the take of the Israelite kings, and, and uh, Chronicles sort of has the, the, the vantage point of the kings of Judah. We'll get into that split a little later. But there he's in Proverbs, he's in the book of Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Hosea, and Micah, and even in the Gospel of Matthew. So you would say this character is in the Bible a lot. And you may not know that because it's all just scattered. Okay? So what I want us to do is a case study of his life and sort of put these pieces together leading up to, 
to Easter before we jump into the next book of the Bible that we're going to study, an Old Testament book, the book of Exodus. The plan will take eight weeks to just look at different aspects, and we're going to look at Hezekiah's history tonight, but we're going to look at his worship, his leadership, how he organized, how he was delivered by God, how he dealt with pride and was tested by the Lord, and even look at his legacy. And you're going to see how the Word of God will apply to our lives as we do a little work studying history and seeing this God that we serve, Jesus who is risen, actually be alive and well in the Old Testament. So we'll be walking through like Chronicles 29 through 32 in these next couple of weeks. But we also will be going to different texts. And this is important because I made a reading plan there in the back table. Uh, they're not required, but they may help you. They may inspire you. Uh, my wife was looking at me this week and she just said, well, how are you going to teach all of this? It's like, good luck, buddy. Sometimes it's confusing, and that's why we want to come together in community and come on our messages. So there's a reading plan where you can actually read the chapter ahead and all of the relative study, and then we're going to come and study the, hist- the subject uh, during the week on Sunday nights. Sounds like a pretty awesome plan. Strategic, it's important. I hope you get out of a lot of it. Tonight, we're going to look at Hezekiah's history. Hezekiah's history, give you a little backstory of who this guy is as we look at the historical context of his life and how it all fits in into our study together. So we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. I want to read verse 27 and then 29 through 1 and 2. Three verses, but I think this will help us and we'll really have one main point uh, and sort of a setup for our series. And then we're blessed to have not only another good friend of ours, but a missionary as well. Jason Sanchez will be here next week. He was able to travel in Florida unexpectedly. He'll be preaching at Ron Jones Church next Sunday morning and then doing another Bible study to this of Hezekiah's life Sunday night. So just fun to see how God is connecting all of us. And we're just, man, it's like, it's like the Old Testament right here. God's working all of our lives and he's getting glory. It's amazing. All right, verse 27, 1 through uh, 27, and then 1 through 2. We'll read it and we'll pray. As Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, for they did not bring him into the tombs of the king of Israel, and Hezekiah his son reigned in his place. Now, Hezekiah, in verse 1, says, began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned. 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Let's pray and let's dig into this Bible study. God, we thank you so much for your word. It is a complicated piece, but yet you give us your spirit to teach us, to know your truth, and we can come to the word of God and be edified and be built up. We pray for wisdom, for discernment, that you'd speak in a powerful way. And we just thank you, Lord, just how you're working, not only in Hezekiah's life, but Lord, you want to work in our lives. And uh, so would you receive the glory? Would you lift us up? Would you encourage us as we go to your word? It's in your precious and powerful name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Well, I believe we're living in the last days. I really do. Um, Jesus is closer and closer and closer ever than before, uh, then he's going to return. And you can sort of see that with this pandemic. Uh, It seems like the last few years of COVID, it's really opened people's eyes, especially believers' eyes, I hope, to the reality that Jesus can return at any time. Because things are getting evil 
awful, out of hand, and we're all aware of it more and more. Uh, There is a world that suddenly, unexpectedly, could change in one instant. Have you felt that with COVID? I feel like before you read prophecy and you read these things, you're like, oh, okay, wait, maybe the Antichrist, all this stuff. But there is actually now a significant thing in history where we've all lived and experienced and are still experiencing it, where something can happen in our world and it can shift everyone from Fiji to Mexico to Florida. It doesn't matter. And it's like so important for us to understand that there will be a global power that comes up deceiving the nations and Antichrist will come. And it's not really hard to imagine anymore. With Bitcoin and these things that are right before us that almost seem fictional, it's not just a global crisis that really tells us that we're in the last days, though, but it's also what's in men. And the evil that we're seeing and the discouragement that we're seeing over and over again in the news, in our friends' lives, even within us, in our neighbors, you know, the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, this is how he described these last days or wicked times, the times of difficulty. For there will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, uh, unappeasable, slanderous, and without self-control. It will be brutal, not Loving good, treacherous, recklessness, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Honestly, it does not sound like prophecy. It just sounds like we're describing our world right now, doesn't it? This is what the Bible talks about would be the last days. And as the world has gone through this trial, our season of COVID, it's really brought out what people's hearts have, what has been in people's hearts. It seems like it's darker than ever. Evil is prevalent. And I know many of us have been overwhelmed at times to see the heartache and reality of sin. And just even shocked of even friends, what they're saying on social media and this and that. But I want to remind you in the midst of these dark days that we have a God that is alive. And there is hope. There is light. And Hezekiah is a great case study to study together in this cultural moment because he is a great reminder to us that in the midst of evil, in the midst of dark days, hard times, we can walk in light and still have hope. Let me say it again. Even in the midst of evil, we can walk in light and still have hope. Even in the last days, we as believers can walk in God's ways and we don't just fall over and give up. No, the Spirit of God dwells in us and there is hope to bring to this world that gives glory to God. We need to preach the gospel and be about His business in these last days. Now I say all this because in verse 27, it gives us sort of the context of Hezekiah at the time as we study his life because there are dark days. In verse 27 of chapter 28, it says, uh, A-Z-A-H, Ahaz. Ahaz? No, not Ahaz. Okay, I spelled it wrong on my paper. Uh, Ahaz spelt with his fathers, uh, or he slept, he slept with his fathers. That means he died, died with his fathers, just like they buried him. And it says they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, For they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. This is significant. 
And it says, when he died, Hezekiah's son reigned in his place. But they didn't bury him in his kings because he wasn't an honorable man. He was a wicked man. He lived for himself, and he ruined the nation of Judah. They didn't bury as Ahaz, thank you, excuse me, Ahaz in the tombs of the king of Israel because he lived an evil life and rebelled against God. You see, the benchmark was David, King David. And you even see a little confusing thing where in verse 2 it says that, um, that Hezekiah, he did all according to that of David his father. That actually means David was the benchmark of a good king. This is about 250 years after David, but he's still the benchmark. But uh, Ahaz did not live according to David or the king or any other kings, in fact. Let's not even bury him in the same place. Let's bury him outside in this other place. In order to really understand Hezekiah, we have to look at Ahaz, his dad, and understand the mess Hezekiah was getting himself into as king. Because Hezekiah's family history affected his life, whether he liked it or not. His culture, when he was born in his family of origin, it was all just coming to a, a, a climax of when he took king. And whether he liked it or not, it affected him. Now, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Cazero, he wrote a chapter, chapter 3, called Going Back in Order to Go Forward. Going back in order to go forward. He says that emotionally healthy spirituality is about reality. It's not about denial or illusion. It is about embracing God's choice to birth us into a particular family in a particular place at a particular moment in history. That choice, he says, granted to us certain opportunities and gifts, right? Things you couldn't choose. It also, though, handed us a certain amount of what he calls emotional baggage in our journey through life. For some of us, for some of us this load is, is minimal, but for others, it turned out to be a very heavy thing to carry. And so he goes on, in fact, he says, some of us are so accustomed to walking with excess weight that we can't imagine living life any other way. True spirituality for us is to live joyfully in the present, what God has given us. It requires, however, going back in order to go forward. And this takes us into the very heart of spirituality and discipleship in the family of God, breaking free from the destructive, sinful patterns of our past to live the life of love God intends for us right now. He continues in that chapter and he shows us that our history and our upbringing and our culture, our family of origin, they can all affect our lives, but it is through the power and the person of Jesus and his spirit that we don't have to be controlled by our history, our family of origin, or where we're born. Rather than just ignoring our culture, our background, or even our family or past pain and hurt, we can overcome when we submit our lives to Jesus. So he says we honor our parents, culture, histories, but we obey God. The great news of Christianity is that your family of origin does not determine your future. God does, he says. What has gone before you is not your destiny. Discipleship then is putting off the sinful patterns and habits of our family of origin and being transformed to live as members of Christ's new family. God wants to set us free. And it reminds me of a verse that Jesus said in John 8, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A lot of us don't want to bring up the past because it brings up a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of suffering, a lot of things that we can't even control. 
But through God's Spirit, we don't have to ignore those things, but we can actually overcome them and face them. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, the Bible says. And having a relationship with God really affects our behaviors and our lives in a good and healthy way. And as we are transformed by His Word and apply His truth to our lives, the Bible says we are blessed despite our circumstances. And we see that although Hezekiah lived in evil times of history and had an evil dad, he was able to follow God. It says in verse 1 that he took over the kingship and he did what was right in honoring God. And I want to encourage us tonight that we can do the same thing in our evil time of history right now. In these last days, as we see evil rise, and we may have blown it in the past or we may have come out of a certain background or even a family of origin or have these sinful patterns, we could be new in Christ and we can submit our lives to God and have an influence on our family and our community and even our nation. You see, as you read and you study the life of Ahaz in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, which was a part of our reading plan this week in 2 Kings 16, you see really how evil he was. Let's not overlook this. He worshiped false gods or idols. Baal or Bel. I just, it's a funny joke. We were pronouncing, how do you say that word? Like, Half the words in the Old Testament, you just got to skip over and you just move on. You know what I mean? They're not common words, all right? They're in Hebrew. We don't understand those things sometimes. But Baal or Malek was another idol that he worshipped. These were false gods that God forbid the nation of Israel and Judah to worship. Even though Jerusalem had the temple, Ahaz worshipped other idols and brought great praying to the nation. You see, Ahaz practiced the worship rituals of pagan gods, which caused him to even sacrifice his own sons. Look with me in verse 1 through 4 of chapter 28 to get the history of his reign. Ahaz was 20 years old. Verse 1 says, when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He was a king of Judah, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. Remember, he's the benchmark. This was his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, right? His bloodline. But, verse 2 of chapter 28, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Remember, at this time, there were two nations. Israel actually walked away from the Lord. He even made metal images for Baal. He made offerings in the valley of the son of Hemon and burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And verse 4, and he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. This was his heart, rebelling against God. And it was forbidden to do this. When God set up the nation of Israel, he gave them the Levitical law. And in Leviticus 18.21, he said, don't worship idols. It will be the detriment. You'll be cursed. It will be bad for you. Moses, before he dies in Deuteronomy 12, 10, he reminds them again, don't worship idols like Baal and Malak and all these other false gods. Oftentimes we think in our mind that worshiping false gods or idols and not worshiping Jesus, really, it's not that big of a deal. But the Bible says it leads to death and destruction, Galatians 6, 8, when we walk according to our flesh and worship other things rather than the true and living God. Ahaz actually sacrificed his own son, by a ritual of burning him because he worshiped this false god. 
And I was thinking, you know what? The same idol worship is happening today, isn't it? It's interesting. I was on the CDC, been on that website a lot with all these guidelines, but I was doing some other research. In 2019, they reported 629,898 legal-induced abortions reported. That's 195 abortions per 1,000 lives in America in one year. I almost had to double-take, like, wait, is that the world? No, it's not the world. Because I went to the WHO, the World Health Organization, and they have this same statistic on their website, which is very easy to find. They said that in one year, around 73 million induced abortions take place worldwide each year. The statistic in the world right now is six out of 10 all unintended pregnancies end in an induced abortion. Our sexual immoral lifestyle is producing a fruit, isn't it? We see when you don't worship Jesus and you worship something else, even yourself, there is a fruit that is not good and healthy for a society, for a culture, and especially for these children. Just like then, then God forbids this kind of action against children, and he declares to us what is good and evil, and all children are a gift from him. And yet abortion is so common in our world today, as we so commonly neglect God's word and his will for our lives. And yet in our world, in our evil, the Bible says, God still loves us. Everyone can be forgiven. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and loved us and pursues us and warns us and cares for us. And you know what? In this text, in this reading of Ahaz, his life, God pursued Ahaz as well, even when he sacrificed his own son. He still loved Ahaz the king. And he warned Ahaz as he rebelled. And we find this story in Isaiah because the prophet Isaiah lived at the time of Ahaz and Hezekiah. Who would have thunk? I didn't know about that. And you're like, you read Isaiah and you're like, wait, he was, they were at the same time living? Yeah, this guy was sent by God to speak to the nation of Israel and Judah. And he spoke to Ahaz about his evil behavior. And in Isaiah 7 and 8, God gives his mercy and his love to Ahaz and the nation to save them, even though they're rebelling. You see, even in our own rebelling, even with these statistics, even in your own past, God loves you and he's full of grace and mercy and forgives and there's no condemnation and he declares righteous over you if you would receive him by grace. There were two kings, Perka, the king of Israel, and uh, Rezin, the king of Syria, you don't have to memorize their names. Just think of king of Israel and king of Syria. They wanted Ahaz and joined an alliance in opposing the Assyrian king. These are nations. These are world leaders. But Ahaz refused to, to come with them, these two kings, because he was pro-Assyrian. He liked their gods. He liked their culture. He liked walking in their evil ways. In fact, Ahaz wanted and went to the king of Assyrian for help. In verse 16 of chapter 28, it tells us. Because the Ammonites and the Palestines, they also invaded Judah at the time. So you have these big nations and you have these little tribes and these countries coming against him. And he goes to Ahaz goes to this Assyrian king and he shows, this shows Ahaz's heart and where he was at his nation. He turned to man for help rather than turning to God. That's what verse 16 says in chapter 28. He, he went to this other king rather than going to God. And they had a temple they had the law, they had the priesthood, God set all this up, but they didn't have the Lord himself. 
because they weren't going to the Lord. Let us never, re- let us never be fooled in thinking that we can just practice religion but have no relationship with Jesus and be okay. Because they had the religious side, but they were not including the Lord in his life. And Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You have to have a relationship with God and submit to his ways to be blessed. You can't just have lip service. And so these prophets were coming and warning Ahaz and saying, you're having all this lip service. You're not living for God. Well, Ahaz... In his own selfishness, his own turning to man rather than God, he took the wealth of the temple, the gold, the silver, the palace, and the princes, and sent them to Assyrian the king as a gift, saying, would you just please come and help us here? Here's all that he stole from the house of God, who he should have worshipped and given, and he gave it to man, this king Assyrian, to put his trust in him. Ahaz has no living faith in the Lord at this time. And this situation, he stole from the Lord and went to man instead of God. And it made me think, you know, when push comes to shove, what are we truly believing in in our lives? I know COVID's been hard, but trials are good for us because they reveal to us what really is in our hearts. And if our hearts are on Christ, are they not? Pay attention to your heart when you go through a trial or you don't get something you want. Are you that submissive? Are you that humble? Do you have God as your anchor and your trust? We need to be people that are truly building our lives on God, especially in hard times. And so look, at me in verse, look with me in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 28. Ahaz just kept doing wrong. Even after the warning, even after the loving, over and over and over again. It says, in the time of his distress, he, came, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. Sometimes your own ways, you don't get better. You just keep on going down a bad road and a bad path. The Bible says, repent, turn to God. It says he just became more faithless. This same king, Ahaz, the same guy getting worse. You don't improve yourself. You fall short of God's glory. For he sacrificed to the gods, now another one, Damascus, that had defeated him. This Damascus, they, they came and defeated him, and they, they worshiped this false god. And now he's saying, well, my God didn't save, so I guess I'll just go and worship their god, because maybe their god could help. It says, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them, and they may help me. But it says, they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. His false worship was the ruin of him and all Israel. Ahaz now defiled the temple of the Lord. It wasn't until his son Hezekiah returned into the nation as king to reopen the temple and his actions defiled the sanctuary because now there's no worship in the nation. Verse 24 says, And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God, and he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. His leadership and example not only affected him, but the whole nation, because now the doors of the temple are shut. The possessions, the sacrifice, they're gone. Their own worship centers were made by them, places of worship. Verse 25 says, In this every city of Judah, he wanted to worship his own way, so he made high places to make offerings 
to other gods, provoking to the anger of the Lord, the God of his fathers. It's interesting that they just didn't stop worshiping, but they rather replaced their worship with false gods. Because the Bible says that we were made to worship. And if you don't worship Jesus, you will replace him with something else, even yourself being God. He had the great temple where the living God was there, and he says, I'm going to make my own temple. I'm going to make my own God. I'm going to go to man, not God. And you see all these things happen because he's replacing his worship. Remember, God is the true and living God. So God would warn Ahaz again and again and again. There would be another prophet, Micah. He would come and warn Ahaz. God would show this nation and the king what the results are would if you were to abandon him through the nation of Israel, their neighbors. You see, meanwhile in Israel, 2 Kings chapter 17 and 18 tell us that the northern kingdom was being invaded by the land of the Assyrians. This guy that he wanted a partner to. Hosea was the last ruler in Israel in 722 B.C. and the nation got invaded, deported, many of the citizens abandoned and repopulated Israel with Gentile people and it was known as the land of Assyria now or where we get Samaritans. They were intermingled, brought in false gods because Israel, you think Ahaz was bad, Israel was worse. The kings and nations have been going for years now, hundreds of years, over and over again. So, there's, so God says, in my warning, Ahaz, I'm going to show you what it's like. You want to rebel? You had a dad that followed me. You want to rebel? Look at the nation right now. It's crumbling. Isn't it crazy how gracious and merciful God is over and over again? So he has this living example in culture of a society falling, Israel being taken by Assyrians, prophets coming to him. And again, this was a result of Israel not worshiping the Lord. So after many warnings, God's in his long suffering, he judges the nation of Israel. And the judgment of Israel was a warning to Judah. But Ahaz was now walking in his own ways, in the ways of the kings of Israel, in their evil days. You know, Micah, who prophesied during the reign of Ahaz, he describes a man who works, quote, successfully to do evil with both hands. Micah 7.3. It means this idea that a man pursues evil with all of his effort, both hands. He's just going for it. This describes Ahaz. This describes his life, his leadership. And this is the environment that King Hezekiah becomes king in. That's his family, his upbringing, his cultural moment where his brothers in Israel are being taken, where his father is just not giving a rip about what God thinks, killing his own brothers. And yet, this is what we read, Second Chronicles 1 and 2. In 2 Chronicles 29, verse 1 and 2, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. According, not to the kings of Israel, but all that David, his father, had done. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of God. It's a lesson for us. 
We are not a product of our environment. Jesus is greater. When it comes to following the Lord, we have a choice right now. I understand. I understand your family of origin and you grew up and it was bad. I understand that these times are crazy and people in the news and the social media and the political climate and the the recession and I understand it all. It's dark. But God's light is greater. And we see a man of God in this moment with a dad like this in an environment like this harder than really many of us even know. Difficult struggles of bringing a nation back to God, and it says he did what was right in the eyes of God. This is what made him great. This is what will make you great. Doing the right thing in the right moment with the gifts God's given you. Understanding that you can be used by the Lord. Of course, our family affects us. Of course, our past affects us. But the Bible says it doesn't have to rule us. Through the power and the Spirit of God, like Romans 8 says, we are now slaves of righteousness, and we can choose to live for God, proclaim His good news, and walk in His light and in His kingdom. God has placed us in this cultural moment with this family at this time to do a work just like He planned. It is no accident that we are alive right now, even together. It's bad, but we can do what's right in God's eyes. We could worship the living king. And we say this great truth found in God. Our history doesn't dictate our future. With God, we can be new creations in Christ. We were all born into sin, but yet God frees us, doesn't he? God makes us born again into a new family of origin, into a new kingdom and culture. And the way that we're able to overcome is not by ignoring our past, but by giving that over to God. It's not by trying to do better, do good and harder and overcome our sin and our own flesh, but it's by following Jesus and accepting his love and his gracious warning to us to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus forgives us and wants us to repent and to worship him because he knows if we don't worship him, our lives will be a mess. And so he tells us that we can bear good fruit in our lives despite the darkness all around. We see that Hezekiah was able to be a light in this cultural moment as he followed God, and this should encourage us because as we follow God, we can overcome and be light as well. As Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's celebrate that life, that Jesus overcame sin, died on the cross, and then three days later, rose again, defeating death, defeating Satan, and overcoming in this world that we can have hope. And so if the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to pray, we're going to celebrate, and we're going to sing one last song to reflect on this truth and take communion and to celebrate the gospel, that even in the midst of this darkness, the gospel of God is the power to save. And we can rejoice, we can celebrate, and we can be used by God. He has a plan and a purpose for us. He can forgive our sin, and it's not based on our own efforts or anything like that. We are saved by grace through faith. And so, Father, we come to you by faith, believing when we speak, you hear. We believe, Jesus, that we need your grace. We repent and turn to you. And we celebrate that repentance, that we could find life in the light of men. 
that you being so humble came down and lived a perfect life that we cannot live, Holy Spirit. God, Jesus, we just thank you so much. Holy Spirit, I ask, God, that you would open eyes to see. Open eyes, Lord, to see who you are. Lord, you graciously, lovingly give mercy and give warnings, not only to us as a people, but to the nation, even to America, to the world right now, that you are a God that is alive. And I pray that we would repent. If you are in this room or listening online and you have not given your life to Jesus, you could repent right now. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And we would invite you to take communion, to celebrate the gospel for your life. See how the light of God could be in your heart and transform you. You are not meant to be a slave of sin, but God wants to snatch you from darkness into his marvelous light so you would be a slave of righteousness and follow his ways, make an impact for you, your family, and the nations. You just surrender your life to him. You say, Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. I repent. I turn to you. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Forgive me of your sin. I believe you died and you rose again. Fill me afresh, Holy Spirit. This is the message that we have, Lord. We look to the cross. We look to your power and we celebrate that although we sin, your grace is greater. May you continue to speak to us as we see you at work. We thank you for Nahab, Lord, for him working in the Fiji. We thank you, God, for the testimony that he gave tonight. May we have a testimony, Lord, in our lives because you are working everywhere we are, Lord, in every nation. And, Lord, in our hearts we cry that you are God and you are our Lord. And we celebrate and take communion tonight to worship you, to praise you, and declare that you are coming back to rule and reign again. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly. In your powerful name we pray, Lord. Amen. We're going to sing this song and the elements of communion are in the aisle right here. We say, if you're a believer in Christ, fellowship with us, take communion. Man, it's something that we can celebrate and we can be excited about. And so as we sing this song, by faith you stand up, grab the elements, and then we'll close out in uh, communion and in prayer. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.